Water. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago, the four channels lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the streamers attacked. Only the podcasters, masters of all internet entertainment, could stop them, just like our non-existent sponsors. But when the world needed them the most, they vanished. A hundred years have passed since we have done Gravity Falls, and Raul and I discovered a new show about an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are childish and mildly annoying, he still has a lot to learn before he inspires any show. But I believe Aang can save our franchise. Welcome back, guys, to... My cabbages! <laughs> yes, today we're going to do one of the most iconic episodes of the series. And the one of the most different episodes of the series, The Tales of Basinse. Yeah, and I appreciated it because it's a good break from... Uh... Mm-hmm. The previous episode, which dropped the big bombshell of like the whole thing is a dystopian mess. Yeah. With some anthologies ranging from cute to heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It's all interesting though, and it shows how everybody's adjusting to the city, and we just get a feel for like what everyone's like. Just it, mm-hmm. it's a nice way to it's a nice break from yes, the character. It's a really nice, it's a really nice breeder. So this is going to be interesting because this well first this was airing on September 29th, 2006 and there are a lot of writers on these episodes. We'll go through them as they are as they appear. Mm-hmm. But it's essentially this is six stories. Um, not very long, mm-hmm. enough to film a or to fill in about a thirty-minute run time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're all uh, very different. And well, let's just dive into it. Um, I, I just remember when this aired, it was like, huh, okay. I didn't really know what an anthology was. No, oh, so cool. it, was, it was very different for me, and it got me interested in the whole concept. Of like stories within a story. But the thing about these stories is they fit into the context of the show and they add and do a lot of great foreshadowing. Not only that, it also ties very good to the story though, because sometimes when you do an anthology episode, it doesn't always tie to the main plot. And that's a really cool that this this anthology episode does tie to the main plot, specifically the last tale. Yeah, so the first tale is the tale of Toph and Katara. We see that we're in the uh, team avatar's house, and we see that Katara wakes up, and they she sees that Toph is not is not ready. I was like, "Are you not gonna get ready for the day?" And I love that Toph gets up and she has this poofy hair, and she's spitting. And I was like, "Toph was like, oh, I'm ready." And I'm like, and Katara's like, "You're not gonna wash up. You got a little dirt of like everywhere." And then Toph was like, "You call it dirt. I call it healthy cutting of earth." Katara. You know what we need? A girl's day out. And then she talks like, do I have to? It'll be fun. So they go outside a uh, spa. And it's the mm-hmm. fancy lady day spa. Sounds like my kind of place. Are you ready for some serious pampering? And then she's like, sure, Katara, whatever you say. As long as they don't touch my feet. <laughs> That's the first thing that happens. 
And of course, Katara is sitting nice and everything as she's getting her feet scrubbed. And then we see Toph's feet and the dirt that comes out from underneath it is so gross. But you know why? Because that's essentially her eyes. And then she mm-hmm. earthed the person that was scraping her feet mm-hmm. out the door. And then they're taking a mud bath. And when Toph it makes her face look all... Uh, like an alien. Like an alien. And you get the... <laughs> music. I, the best part is when uh, they go in the um uh, the 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 sauna the sauna and Toph puts a rock in there and Katara puts the water a mix of both of their powers in a really interesting scene it's a they really could good just joke. use their hands and then a ladle full of water that was literally mm-hmm. right next to them mm-hmm. like in the bucket but it's fine yeah, and, and they then, go out and they all rested and you know, like they just went to the spa. They went to the spa, they're well dressed, they're all in their makeup, and tough as a well, that wasn't so bad. I'm actually into that stuff, but I actually feel girly. I'm glad it's about time we did something fun together. And then we see between the bridge, other two, like, uh, three girls, and one of them has an umbrella. Wow, great makeup. Tough is like, thanks for a clown. And then the girls are laughing, and then Tough smile. He's just sad. And then Katara is like, "Don't listen to them. Just just keep walking." And then the girls like, "I think she looks cute. Like last time we put a sweater on your pet poodle monkey. Good one, Star." And then Katara, "Let's go, Tough." And I was like, "No, that was a good one." And I was like, "Like your poodle monkey? You know what else is a good one?" And then she urbans a hole in in the middle of the bridge. And all the three girls fall, and then Katara moves the water all away. All basically, kills them. Yeah, <laughs> killing them. But it's it's done. I mean, I'm making the joke that it kills them, but no, nah, it's just a uh, it's sweet revenge. And then Toph's like, uh, you know, one of the good things about being blind is I don't have to waste my time worrying about appearances. And then we see. Yeah, it actually upset her pretty badly. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, I don't care what I look like. I'm not looking for anyone's approval. I know who I am. And Katara is like, that's what I really admire about you, Toph. So strong and confident and self-assured. And I know it doesn't matter, but you're really pretty. She's like, I am? Yeah, you are. And Toph knows that she's telling the truth as well. Mm-hmm. Remember, she can sense when people lie to her. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, I'd return the compliment, but I have no idea how you look like. Thank you. And then she punches Katar in the shoulder. You know, oh. just like, a, ah, mm-hmm. I got you. Mm-hmm. That episode was written by two people, Joanne Esto- Estoesta and Lisa Wallander. So two women wrote this one. Yeah, and it was it was pretty cute. It was pretty wanted- cute. Um, we'll talk about all of them and just rank them. I think it's pretty clear, uh, the rankings. Which one we like the most? Yeah. And then the next one is The Tale of Iroh. You know where we're going on this one. Oh my uh, God. I was not ready the first time I saw this episode. Yeah. It's not ready. It's just Iroh going through a shop Mm -hmm. and he's getting a basket and the shop owner's like oh if it's for a romantic picnic should i 
uh, may I suggest this one? And then Ira's like, no, it's not a romantic picnic, but it is a special occasion. He puts this flower in the shade mm-hmm. because the moonflower likes partial shade. Bows the shop we- owner just rocks away. And then we see uh, Iroh sees another shop that sells musical instruments, but then he sees that there's a kid crying. And Iroh looks at him, and then he sees him sobbing. And the mother trying to console him. And then Iroh's like, grabs one of the instruments and starts singing. Leaves from the vine, failing so slow, like the fragile tiny shells written in the foam. Little soldier boy, come marching home. Brave soldier boy comes marching home. And then the boy immediately like smiles and then he pulls on Iroh's beard. But <laughs> it's it's okay. You this is essentially just Iroh uh what probably what Keanu Reeves does in the day. Oh Marshall from Home Your Mother. Just or Marshall. Going to run to but, your uh, city. Then he's just he's just walking and then these four boys are playing this earthbending ball thing. And mm-hmm. the ball goes through this window. You know, like boys are mm-hmm. doing. It's like playing baseball and you accidentally break a window. And then Iroh just goes like, uh, it's usually best to admit mistakes when they occur and seek to restore honor. And then there's this big guy. He just comes in. And he's like, when I'm through with you kids, the window won't be the only thing that's broken. And he goes, <laughs> but not this time. Run. <laughs> <laughs> and then we see... I run the kids are running and they're noticing that like uh, they're not they like, he's not being chased, but then he goes to a, a, an alleyway and then this woman this man says, You give me all of your money. Then I was like, What are you doing? And then we get realizes it's like a, his poor stance. I'm mugging you. With that stance and Cyro. Huh? What are you talking about? Just give me your money, old man. With a poor stance. You're on balance, and you could be easily knocked over. Because I was shaking his head. I was like, and then he grasped the arms, disarms him, and making him like doing another different position to move his leg. And I was like, with a solid stance, you are much more serious threat. And I was like, much better. But to tell you the truth, you don't look like like the criminal type. I know I'm just confused. And then we cut uh, we cut it with them drinking tea in the same alleyway. And then uh, the man, this man's name is Tycho. So you really think I could be a good masseur? Of course. I was like, this is so great. No one has ever believed in me. While it always is best to believe in oneself, a little help from others can be a great blessing. And I love that you see that the sun's setting as mm-hmm. well. So you know that he talked with him. And he sat down, like, he literally is like, okay, sit down, tell me about your problems and stuff. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to do that. He spent a lot of the part of his day just talking to this guy and helping him believe in himself. That's mm-hmm. a huge thing. And that quote that you just said, that's a great life lesson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we get this beautiful background with this tree overlooking the city and leaves are falling, too. And we see Iroh is setting up um, with the basket and he removes his hat. He puts some rocks by a tree base. He removes several things from the basket, though. Puts out a sheet of paper, looks at it, closes his eyes, and then he places it down. And he puts two incense candles and he lights them with his fire bending. And he makes a little uh, memorial for his son. 
the one that passed away, and he just says, happy birthday, my son. If only I could have helped you. And then you see him just crying his eyes out, and his voice is cracking too as he sings, leaves from the vine falling so slow like fragile tiny shells drifting in the foam <laughs> little soldier boy come marching home brave soldier boy come marching home and then there's this message that says in honor of mako referring to iroh's original voice actor and there's a mix between mako and the guy that would replace him, Greg Baldwin. This is the last thing. What mm-hmm. the ending of this is the last thing that Mako ever recorded. Mm-hmm. And the leaves from the vine song is something he wrote because he was dying of throat cancer at that time. He knew he was on borrowed time, and this is basically his goodbye. So that's why people, you know, it's it's very sad. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard for people that, I mean, it, even without that context, it's just very sad seeing a father mourn a son. No parent should ever have to outlive their kid. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, he ha- it shows that Iroh, he's not perfect. He has regrets. Mm-hmm. And, but, he, but at the core of it, he's a good man. Yeah, because... During the series before this episode, because I didn't know about the voice actor, the first time I saw the episode, the thing that made me go sad is because they drop a little bit of hints, because even Azula says it in one line that uh, Iroh, he was so great, but when he got to passing say he he was he lost all of his titles and everything, he lost that battle. And then in one other flashback, even the uh, the, the Fire Lord even says I was like how because of what Iroh did and Iroh's son died, that's why the Suko's father could be the, the next fighter instead of Iroh. Because of well, what happened. They, so like whenever they brought up Boston Say and stuff, mm-hmm. Iroh always said it's my greatest failure. He wasn't mm-hmm. talking about the siege. No. He was talking about Now we son. know the reason why he gave mm-hmm. up. It's this because is the he review. lost his son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it completely changed him because before that, Iroh was actually not a good person. No. He was very much like... A general. The, he was a general, and he was the mm-hmm. Fire Lord's son, and they were raised a certain way, but when he lost his son, he, it changed him. And it changed his perspective on his nation and the war. That's the cool yeah, thing about the so story of Iroh. He's regarded as a failure, but he knows that it's a different kind of failure than what everybody else thinks. Mm-hmm. And knowing the context behind that and how those seeds were planted is really good storytelling. And you also just, it's because everybody cares for Iroh. I do not know a single person that hates Uncle Iroh. We all mm-hmm. call him Uncle Iroh or mm-hmm. Iroh because he is the person that will believe in you, even when mm-hmm. you don't believe in yourself. And that is something that kids need in this world now more than ever. Iroh and Bobby Singer from Supernatural are the greatest uncles on television in the last 20 years. You need a parental figure Mm -hmm. in your life 
it's so important and it's important to teach kids this lesson they need to hear this because they need to grow into the good people and also to quote bobby family doesn't run on blood and when he says they're just my boys oh bobby I miss, I miss bobby too yeah anyway yeah <laughs> yes um that episode was written by andrew hubner mm-hmm. bravo sir bravo mm-hmm. yeah he passed away on that july so this was um mako iwamatsu was his name and um the first Very acclaimed time I... actor did a mm-hmm. lot of voice work. He was actually nominated for an Academy Award for Best mm-hmm. Supporting Actor for a movie called The Sand Pebbles with Stephen mm-hmm. Queen. It's a pretty good mm-hmm. movie too. Nice. Um, so this was a posthumous release, which mm-hmm. is after he died, and yeah, he had throat cancer for a while, so it was. It's very great much that he like could he was... do that graceful performance with that. Yeah, because that's, again, throat cancer is, mm-hmm. you know, cancer is such a devastating disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, think that we, I, I think we've talked about this enough, but yeah, I paused this, this is the epi- reason why. I paused the episode when I saw it and I was crying. It took me like three minutes. And then I went, I went back the first time I saw this episode, like three years ago. From the music to mm-hmm. the animation, it's so beautiful, the sunset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we get a nice little lighthearted uh, mm-hmm. tale for your least favorite character. Mm-hmm. And admittedly, this is the weakest story. Yes. It's not bad. It's just, this is just a cute little adventure. And I like that it actually kind of does tie into mm-hmm. uh, the last story in a bit. Or at least it shows Aang's True. character. Because it's mm-hmm. the tale of Aang. So Aang is flying over the city and he's searching for Appa. And then he cuts to or he, he goes down to um this really run down, dirty, depressing zoo. Mm-hmm. And he goes by this uh tiger dillo who's gnawing at the bars and he's like, Hey there, little fella, you look hungry, and it's like rah and he's like and, and the zookeeper is just like, they are hungry. The Dai Li mm-hmm. won't give me any more money because the kids stopped coming. And the kids won't come because my zoo's nasty and broke. <laughs> and, and then, then I was like, what kind of animal is that? Oh, that's a rubber room. I wish that could be a big open prairie like she likes. I was like, let, I let her hop away to happiness. And let's do it. Say that again. I was like, there's a big open space right outside of the walls of the city. But how are you going to transport the, all of these wild critters? And don't worry, I'm great with animals. And then we see all of the the animals and the monkeys breaking havoc through all of the shops. We see the elephants stepping down while people are running for their lives. And the platypus bear enters the street and is oh, hinging. Oh, mandrill. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then we, and then we cut to a rubber room. Devouring cabbages from a pile, and then we see our favorite character, the merchant. My God, uh, you know what? Forget it. <laughs> yeah, I give up. I love, I love that the rabbaroo just looks at him, and then mm-hmm. he, he stops, and he just goes, uh, "You know what? Whatever, I'm done." <laughs> and then we see that um, Ang is running on the rooftops, and he's using airbending, 
Mm-hmm. And he just goes, this is much easier in my head. And then he realizes, oh, I have the bison whistle. Then he throws it in the air, and using his airbending, he <gasps> and, uh, inhales a big thing of air, and then it just goes throughout pretty much the entire city creates a huge sound wave so all the animals will follow him and then he is basically running towards or gliding towards the wall and the zookeeper's like you gotta open the wall and they're like or one he's just like that (laughs) you see all these animals are coming and ang has uh them on the run and they open the walls and then Aang, luckily, doesn't stop and just let them go free. He starts using earthbending, and he earthbends an entire zoo. Apparently, Aang's also a good architect. And the zoo looks awesome. Also, I'm really interested because Basinsei is so capitalistic, the way that they control all of this stuff. I'm surprised that they led Aang, number one, to open the walls because of the chaos in number two. Are they going to charge him property taxes to this new zookeeper with the new zoo outside of Basinse? Or he's just because it's outside of the border, he's cool. <laughs> You're reading and a little bit too much into this. I know. but the, My response is, who gives a shit? <laughs> I know. And then we see the anger. It's like, well, Mr. Zookeeper, how do you like your new facilities? And then it's like, insulin jam avatar. Just the thing about working with animals for a living. And then we see a youngest mommy, Miss Snowflake, has got out of the house again. And we see a, a cat. And then Fluffy Kins, what are you doing down there? We see a career. Yeah, because Aang didn't count uh, or forgot to think about. Oh, yeah, he managed to capture all the animals in the city. All of them. The zoo. And then he's just like, uh, the zookeeper's like, oh, on second thought, you should probably just stick to saving people and Aang is like uh yeah okay it's a little cute but i like that they did it they tied it in because he's looking for appa who Mm -hmm. himself is an animal and ang does love animals Mm -hmm. and life and he's described as a gentle soul Mm -hmm. i think that's like i keep saying it he's a good kid he means well he just struggles to do the right thing but here it's it's a nice little comedy um, and I, like I said, I don't hate Ang. Some of the decisions I don't like about the character. <laughs> I don't hate But him, I though. think it does... Uh, it's for the benefit of the story. I know. I do I like Ang in this, uh, in this little story, though. I do like Ang in this little story, yeah, though. This one was written by Gary Shepke. Mm-hmm. But then we get our grand poetry slam with the tale of Sokka. <laughs> who is just out on the streets and like this is during the day so um it goes from day to night so this is all in chronological order too Mm -hmm. i like that small detail and now it's night and sokka's going down this candlelit street and he's just throwing his boomerang catching it and he passes Mm -hmm. this building and it's these women uh basically dead poet society just reading poetry mm-hmm. and then and... Saka's like "Ooh, what is this i was like a lady on the stage was like throughout the night winter moon glows with bright love sleet her civil tears and Saka's like oh poetry and not i was only, like not just any poetry they're haikus Ooh, interesting 
And so we see that uh, between all of this, we see that uh, there's uh, some people. He Saka is looking through the window, but then he gets pushed by uh, some of the ostrich horses. And then he's, uh, he's inside of the room. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Something struck me in the rear and I just wound up here. The ladies are laughing. It was like a five, seven, then five syllables mark a haiku. Remarkable oaf. And then these are all haikus, which is mm -hmm. five syllables, seven syllables, and five syllables. Mm -hmm. It's harder than you think it is. Yes. So Sokka unintentionally created a haiku. And mm -hmm. then Sokka goes, okay, they call me Sokka. That is mm -hmm. in the water tribe. I am not an oaf. <laughs> Oh, teetering monkey. In the springs, he climbs treetops and takes himself tall. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. You think you're so smart with your fancy little words. This is not so hard. Ooh. Ooh. Whole seasons are spent mastering the form, the style. None of it calls it easy. Ooh. I calls it easy. Like I paddle my canoe, I, I'll paddle yours too. There's nuts and there's fruit. And then she's taking a plum from her sleeve. In the floor, the clinging plum, plum drops, always to be squashed. And then, of course, the best one. Squish, squash, sling that slang. I'm always right back at you like my boomerang. <laughs> oh. And then he goes, because that was the, uh, oh, yeah, like, mm -hmm. oh, got you. And then he goes... That's right, I'm Sokka. It's pronounced with an Akka. Young ladies, I rocked ya. And then they're like, stop. And then he realizes, because now they're angry, and he counts the syllables, and he realizes the last one was six syllables. Mm -hmm. And then there's this big guard that just goes, uh, that's one too many syllables there, bub. And then he's thrown out headfirst. <laughs> And then like, he like, once again says, ah, poetry. poetry. <laughs> like this episode was written by uh, frequent director, Laura McMullen. Nice. I like her a lot. And then we yeah. get into the next story. That is, this is Pro my probably second... your, I was about to my say, second your second favorite, favorite story. Yeah. It's a shipping <laughs> episode. Yes. The tale of Suko. Also because he's my boy, my, my favorite character. Hey, hey, <laughs> he's our boy. Mm -hmm. But yes, please, I want you to, to just take over this episode. Yes, we're in the tea in the family in the tea house, and then we see Suko. Uncle, we have a problem. One of the customers on to us. Don't look now, but there is a girl over there at the corner of the table. She knows we're Fire Nation. Did you say don't look don't look at the girl? You're right, Suko. I've seen that girl here quite a lot. Seems to me she has quite a little crush on you. What? <laughs> and then we see this girl, very, very, kind of like a all green, very nice, beautiful details. And she's like, thank you for the tea. What is your name? And then Iroh is, is, is smiling. It's looking from afar as, as he looks from afar. And then Suko is like, my name is Lee. My uncle and I just moved here. Hi, Lee. My name is Jin. Thank you. Well, I was wondering if. You would like to go out sometime. And Suko's like, what? Like, all stunned. I was like, and then I was like, he loved to. Great. I'll meet you in the front of the shop at sundown. 
And then we already see that it's nightfall. And this is the start of the shop. And then we see Zuko with his hair all calm. And it looks so bad. But it looks so serious. Combed, at the yeah, combed right in the middle. Yeah, it too. looks like he's, he's going to so go pissed. to a job interview. <laughs> and, and then, then, then Jin is like, I like hey, Jin. Yeah, you can go in. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm more of a I'm more of a whiskey guy, but Jin Jin is a <laughs> is a cute. Um, can you imagine? You get it? It's a, it's an alcohol pun, but she's like, "Look at you! You look so cute." And he's like, "Took my uncle ten minutes to do my hair," <laughs> and then they just go and um, they you're eating at a restaurant, typical date thing, and uh, Zuko looks very bored. And he is a terrible, very anxious. Mm-hmm. He he's he's terrible at dating. Yes, but and also I like that he spikes his hair. And then Gina's like, "How do you like the city so far? It's it's okay." And I was like, "What do you like to do for fun?" Suko, nothing. And then the waiter was like, "Excuse me, sir. We like you and your girlfriend care for dessert." And Suko screams and pounces the table. She's not my girlfriend. And everybody stares. I was like, Suko's like, and then Suko's like, oh. And then he sees that she's eating a big bowl of noodles. You have quite an appetite for a girl. Jen, um, thanks. So, Lee, where were you and your uncle living before you came here? Well, we've been traveling around for a long time. Why are you traveling so much? We were part of this traveling circus. Really? What do you do? Wait, let me guess. You juggle. Yes, I juggle. I always wanted to learn how to juggle. Can you show me something? And then Suko's so worried. I was like, he throws so much in his hand, but he's able, he cannot catch him and falls him into his head. I haven't practiced in a while. Jane was like, it's all right. I want to show you one of my favorite places in the city. And then I was like, I'm so excited for you to see the firelight fountain. The lamp makes the water sparkle reflects in the pool in the most beautiful way. And then they go into this beautiful, really the middle part of the of this part of passing say that it looks so gorgeous but then she's like oh no no one light the candles they are in lit and then and then it says Suko says like close your eyes but don't peek come on don't peek at all and then we see that Jen covers her eyes and I love how Suko because also he's precautious because he's afraid of jet and the other ones or for him getting caught so he does it in a very fast way, like kind of like throwing little like sparks to every single part of the of he the, of the light. His, he just uses his pointer finger, mm-hmm. and then he lights them all up. And then it reminds me of uh, the lamp uh, art thing outside of the uh, Academy Museum and the art. Yeah, I was gonna museum. say that. It's like <laughs> if they weren't lit, and then somebody's like, "Close your eyes," and then they went. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Jin was right. It is a beautiful romantic setting. I don't know why she decided the beast to... Too, it is. <laughs> and uh, I don't know why she stuck around. Because most people, if after the whole dinner disaster, would just leave. Mm-hmm. He does everything wrong. You also know that's just because of, of his personality. And also because really it's super so hot. That's why she kept going. Yeah, now that he's got hair. His hair's starting to get spiky. And then uh, <laughs> she's like, wow, 
what did you do? And she doesn't seem to matter. And then, uh, then Jin, um, leans in for a kiss, and then Zuko is like, oh, brought you something it's a coupon free tea cup of tea and then she's just like that's so sweet he's like don't thank me it was my uncle's idea he thinks you're our most valued customer and then she's just like "Uh uh-huh your uncle's a good teacher and then she's like i have something for you too now close your eyes and then she gives him a kiss and then he pulls back a little bit but then he goes he starts to get into it but then he jumps back again and then she's like, what's wrong? And he just goes, it's complicated. I have to go. And then he walks <laughs> off, and she's just very sad looking. And yeah, then you're and, just and... like, oh, man, he was actually kind of happy. I know. He was so happy for that moment, man. And then when they was like, it's complicated. I have to go. And then he, he runs away. And then we see he goes back into his room. He closes the, the door like a nasty teenager. And I was like, how was your nine prince, Zuko? And then I was like, oh. Like he closes the door and he opens the door. It was nice. And then we just yeah. see Iris smiling. Zuko from season one would have never done that. No. So we're starting to see Zuko uh, open up a little bit. You know, he's mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, not that bad. You know how he is. He is very much an introvert and that's, mm-hmm. that's okay. This episode was written by Katie Matilla. So, mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. we cut to our final tale, the tale of Momo. Dun, dun, and then this one is almost done entire, or yeah, this one is done silent. entirely in pantomime. Mm-hmm. So it's like a like a silent movie, but we mm-hmm. see that there's this very tall tree, and it's so tall it's above the clouds, and Appa's up there, and over the tree. And then we see all this fruit hanging from the tree. And Appa and Momo are there. And they're eating the fruit. But then Momo is uh, continuing to eat. And Appa, Appa roars very loudly. And then it turns out it was just a dream that Momo was having. So Momo dreams of Appa. But then startled by the thunder, because now there's a thunderstorm. Um, he leaps into the Earth Kingdom bag that Sokka has. And he pokes his head up and he realizes some of the fur, some of Appa's fur is there. He sniffs it and he's starting to um, uh, track Appa down. And then it cuts to this shot of a house from a lawn that Momo is visible through the window. And then we see a shadow that's similar to Appa cross the ground. And then Momo looks up and uh wraps the fur around his paw and is soaring too because momo can fly he realizes it's just it's just a cloud like in the desert and then he holds his arm up and he looks at the fur and then we saw that um he thinks he sees oppa again and it uh turns out that it's only a tree because he thinks that he sees oppa's horns but it's a tree with white leaves and the branches sticking out. And then we we just see Momo's ears drop. And it's you just feel so sad. The rest of this. And also I like that he remembers like his cuddliness of like Momo misses like being on top of Appa. Like for him like to sleep and all of that stuff. 
And then we see that he goes, lands on one of the streets, and he lands on a water barrel, and he starts drinking from it. But then he knocks over a stake that falls into the ground, and we see three pygmy pumas, really, really cute pumas, though. And they start to growl at Momo, and they start, they kind of like, uh, we see Momo dodging the pumas, and uh, the three bed, the three panthers, it was like, uh, and then they're like, and then they're trying to catch Momo, but then he escapes, but then he go, he flies away, but then we see the Pimi Pumas running on rooftops as they put, they push him on the ground, and then Momo gets on his feet, and then he's in a group of people, but the Pumas do not follow the follow him, and then he's pick up in the crowd, and they put out a hand on him, and he's kind of like a dancing monkey with other two monkeys. And I was like, this is, a, I remember when I was watching the first time, I was like, what is the point of this? And then I was, I was like. <laughs> it's a nice little cute moment. I know. And Momo's got some moves as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the little little music. And uh, what amazes me about this is that this is entirely like, probably just D. Bradley Baker just making animal noises the entire time. Mm-hmm. He's the voice of both Appa and Momo. Mm-hmm. And so all those individual like clicks and stuff that's all that's a guy that's not like mm. animal noises and stuff and uh anyway we see one of the monkeys is uh jumps on momo's head and he tries to balance it with the other hand same with the other monkey and then the pumas attack again and uh are like i thought they were just cats mm-hmm. and uh they jump and grab onto momo but they crash into the ground and then um a net captures him and he's essentially taken to a pound and then it turns out the animal control officer puts him in a cage and uh puts him in a peg to prevent the doors from opening mm-hmm. and then momo rubs the clump of oppa's fur still tied to his arm mm-hmm. and then it um we see this one story building and it's a butcher shop so it's implied that they're going to kill the Momo pumas. and the Pumas and sell the meat, mm-hmm. which is crazy. And we just hear the dialogue is only gibberish because that's mm-hmm. just what Momo, Momo hears sees. from people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Momo gets out because the lock is uh, easily taken out because mm-hmm. Momo has opposable thumbs. And we see that the, the pygmy Pumas are just really sad. And then Momo just looks back and he's like, Okay, I'll get you out. And then they go. Mm-hmm. And then they make their escape on the rooftops. And then we see that they're all like um, cuddling. cuddling and stuff. And then one of the uh, panthers takes the, the bunch fur. of Appa's fur. And then, uh, yeah, we hear Momo go, <laughs> and go over, flies. And we see that the panthers lead Momo to this street and then mm-hmm. we see this enormous footprint so you know it's appa's footprint mm-hmm. and you're like how the hell does that get there and then momo just sadly just curls up in a ball and we see the outline of the entire paw mm-hmm. but yeah now we know appa is there and that was the tale of momo written by yes. justin ridge and frequent director Giancarlo volpe mm-hmm so yeah, those were the tales of Bossing Say. How do you want to rate it? 
Um, mm, I would say my number one is the Tale of Iro. Me too. And my number two is the Tale of Suko. Me too. My number three will be Saka. Yeah. My number four will be Tough and Katara. Uh, actually, you know what? My number three is uh, Momo. Nice, nice, nice. And then my number four is Sokka. Number five, Katara and Toph. Mm-hmm. Last one is Aang. Mine will be last Aang and then Momo before. Yeah. Okay, so you like the Katara and Toph story more than the Momo story. Yes. Okay, I, I respect that. Mm-hmm. You know I'm not a big fan of Momo. I don't uh, hate him, though. I like Apple more, though. Yeah. Of course. Well, you're definitely going to love next episode, then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, there's actually quite a bit of trivia, but um, do I feel like going through all of it? Mm, no. Except I do know that uh, this is the last episode featuring our namesake, the Cabbage Merchant. He is mentioned again, but... Um, this is also the first, the only episode with Sokka having facial hair because his little mustache in the beginning and that he just he just shaves off real quick. Um, this is the first time we see that Aang is seen shaving his head. We forget that, yeah, hair grows back and Aang has to <laughs> shave his head all the time. Um, this The tale of Toph and Katara is the only tale in the episode that focuses on two characters. Um, Madam Makmu Ling, the instructor of the 575 Society <laughs> in the Tale of Sokka, is named after Lauren McMullen, part of the series production team and writer of that segment. I thought that was cool. Uh, the writers for each segment are regular crew members, but with one exception, has only this episode as a writing credit. Joanne Estoesta has 18 credits as a production coordinator. Lisa Wallander has four credits as production assistant. 13 as martial arts coordinator, some with videographer as well. Andrew Hubner has 16 credits as production manager. There's a lot of production. Lauren McMullen has eight credits as director, three as storyboard, one as character designer, one as historian. Gary Shepke has nine credits as production assistant. Katie Matilda uh, Matilla has eight credits as production assistant, seven as production coordinator, and an additional writing credit for an episode in the third season called The Beach. Um, Justin Ridge has 11 credits as a storyboard artist. And of course, Giancarlo Volpe has 18 credits as a director, five as a storyboard artist, and one as an assistant director. He's also an uncredited writer for The Serpent's Pass and The Drill. Um, This is the last time Momo's signature theme is heard. And this is the only episode that Team Avatar has seen enjoying their time in Bossing Sing. But uh, yeah, um, that that's the tales of Bossing Say. And any other thoughts? No, this is a really good episode. And like I said, sometimes it's really hard to do an anthology episode to tie back to the story. I like the reveal of Iroh's pain and how Iroh he he got to be. I do 
Now the extra context I didn't know about Mako, I knew that he the actor died, but I didn't know he had throat cancer. So I'm like, that's even that adds more context to that episode of him saying goodbye. And also I like also that Suko gets a happy moment sometimes because Suko's darkest moment is coming. And you know what I'm talking about. I do. I do. Yeah. But uh, next week, well, mm-hmm. we're going to go with probably the saddest episode of the entire mm-hmm. show, which is Appa's Lost Days. This is going to be interesting because there's um, much not like the tale of Momo, there's not a ton of dialogue. And it shows basically, well, we're finally getting back to Appa again. Mm-hmm. So that was a very interesting one to watch mm-hmm. um, first time. But we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. Until then, where can the good people find you, buddy? You can find me as always at RoboRDC on Twitter, Instagram, and on Letterboxd at RoboRDC. Please follow the podcast and SYNS pod on Twitter. And please give us a nice review on Apple, Spotify, and the other ones in Jubilee. Yes, you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Master of Puns 196. Every word starts with a capital letter. Um, you can also follow me on instagram at billy batson's lightning nothing is capitalized once again you can follow our main show twitter at syns pod as well as give us a five star and just write a review on apple Podcasts, as well as listen to us on google spotify soundcloud spotify for podcasters wherever podcasts can be listened to and as always see you next summer dun, 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 my